I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's got to be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal, seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment. Like, that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. Boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Hello everybody, welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear and today we'll mark the end of season one of Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. The good news, we're not a one and done. There will be a season two. And you won't even have to wait long for season two. It's going to kick off in the beginning of April. I mean, we have to celebrate Occupational Therapy Month, right? And then May is Better Speech and Hearing Month. And around this time, we'll give some tips and advice to students who are graduating taking their boards, and then looking for their first job out in the field. And then, you know, we'll take a little break in the summer. And at the end of the summer, going into fall, you know, the most beautiful time of the year when you can go outside and just throw on a hoodie and enjoy all that nice weather, that's when we will kick off season three. So there you go. Good news for you. There will be a season two, and there will be a season three. So how are we going to close out Season one of the Live Better Longer podcast. I will tell you, we will be chatting with the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the American Physical Therapy Association, Carmen Elliott. And I think Carmen is a perfect guest to end season one. Because think about it. March is Women's History Month. And then April is not only Occupational Therapy Month, but it's also Celebrate Diversity Month. So I couldn't think of a better guest to have on the season one finale of the Live Better Longer podcast than Carmen Elliott. So before we go to break, I'm just curious how you are enjoying the Live Better Longer podcast. Would love to hear your feedback. Did you have any favorite episodes? Do you have any dream guests, any topics that you want us to cover? If so, feel free to reach out to me. My email is jim.shear at foxrehab.org. And any feedback is welcomed. If you think I'm too loud, which has been said on multiple occasions, it's even been said by my wife on multiple occasions, let me know. All feedback is welcomed once again my email address is jim.shear at foxrehab.org. So with that, let us take a break. And when we come back, I will be speaking with the VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the APTA, Carmen Elliott. Like I just said, this is the season finale of Fox Rehabilitation's 
Live Better Longer podcast. And just so you know, when a season is happening, we post a brand new episode every Wednesday made available on our website, foxrehab.org. And once you're there, look for the link, Fresh Fox Content. You can't miss it. It's all in caps. Once you click on that link, click on podcasts, and you will find all of the episodes from season one. And I do understand that people have their podcast listening routines down pat. You probably download them from your favorite streaming service. So FYI, the Live Better Longer podcast, also available on all of your favorite streaming platforms. So there are many ways you can enjoy Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. Season two will kick off in April. And once again, we always premiere our new episodes over on our website, foxrehab.org, under the link, Fresh Fox Content. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, and I would now like to introduce you to Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the American Physical Therapy Association, Carmen Elliott. Carmen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. So happy to be here. We made it happen. Yes, we did. We did. (laughs) So, Carmen, this year was my first combined sections meeting. And on night one, it kicked off with the Mary McMillan lecture, which was given by Dr. Dolly Swisher. Now, DEI just wasn't mentioned in passing. There was a clear call to action. Dolly said we had to be agents of change. So as VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, how important was it for you that DEI was put front and center at APTA's marquee event. Dr. Swisher's lecture was phenomenal. I I really appreciated her shining light on what she called a wicked problem. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is very complex, but it's something that needs to happen definitely in the profession. And I really appreciated how she challenged us to think about it differently. And so, yeah, in answer to your question, the emphasis on DE&I at CSM was really important to me especially in my role as VP of DNI. Um, this was my first time out the gate um, publicly with this event as the vice president of DNI in this space. So I really wanted to be sure that everything came together nicely. APTA is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion on increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for the association, for the profession, for the society. Um, so we did a few things a bit differently this year. Uh, We increased our all-gender bathrooms, um, something that we did hear from members in the past. Uh, We increased the number of mothers' rooms, uh, which is really important for our members. We also had American Sign Language available for anyone who needed that on site. We also had interpreters on site. We have included uh, captioning on our on-demand sessions. So we're doing a lot of things different this year. So with all that said, it was really important to me that um, DNI was interwoven throughout everything that we did um, at CSM. So, Carmen, can we go through your background? How did you become part of APTA? And then how did you become vice president of diversity, equity and inclusion? Just kind of take us through your journey. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I'll try to make this short as possible. <laughs> uh, so maybe I'll start with my academic background first. Okay. I, I do have a bachelor's of science in biology, have a master's of science in healthcare uh, administration. So that's my academic background there. I am also a scholar of the American Society of Association Executives for their Diversity Executive Leadership Program. So I spent a lot of time in this space. Um, I have numerous certificates in diversity management, being DEI certified. Uh, so definitely uh, my background is in this space. But my personal mission in life has always been to ensure that people have access to health care, that their basic health care needs are met. And really just growing up in a family that seemed fairly healthy, but had underlying conditions such as hypertension, uh, heart disease, access to healthcare was just so important to me. Uh, so when I came into APTA 15 years ago, I started in the area of advocating for payment. So I was that person that advocated uh, for physical therapists to ensure that you all were reimbursed or paid for what you do and also ensure that patients had access to care. So that really was my role. I just changed seats. So I advocated for payment. Now I advocate for uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. So that's how uh, I really moved into the space. Our previous president, Dr. Sharon Dunn, really wanted to reignite our passion in increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and this was way before the events of 2020 uh, really precipitated a lot of this mm -hmm. action, right? So with that said, with her vision, I became a little more involved in some of these efforts. And I began to pick up just a bit more work in that area and then assume the role formally in April of 2021. So Carmen, quick technical question before we proceed. I've heard it as DEI, and then I've also heard it, and you've said it as <laughs> DE and I. So is there a right way to say it? Is it a grammatical thing? You know, uh, Jim, that is such a great question. Now, <laughs> educate me, Carmen. Yeah, yeah. So we do when put it this way: when we write articles and things of that nature, it's D E I. I say it either way: D E N I or D E I. You know, depending on where you are, you you can hear so many different acronyms. The bottom line is we have to look at each terminology different. So there's diversity, there's inclusion, there is equity. And we often hear the term access. We hear the term belonging. So there's so many different ways you could say this. I think at the end of the day, we all want the same. And that's right. for everyone to feel included, everyone to feel like they belong and to be their authentic selves. Yeah. So if I roll into a meeting and I say DEI, no one's going to roll their eyes at me and be like, dude, that was like three years ago. It's D-E and I now. <laughs> no, no one will not do okay. that. At least I hope they won't, Jim, but no, they won't. So when speaking about D-E-I or D-E and I, I always hear the <laughs> phrase diversity in our professions. So I don't know how it breaks down in the broader world of healthcare, but I know at least in therapy, there's not a lot of diversity. So what factors play into that? Yeah, I... And I would say this is a healthcare thing too. Okay. I, there, there are a lot of studies out there that demonstrate people with diverse racial and ethnic identities, they they tend to go to the providers that they know or providers that look like them. And 
they want that access, right? And so we, we do see where health disparities exist because um, there is increasing evidence of people of color who have more incidences of disease, of chronic illnesses. And evidence also suggests that healthcare providers, they may have implicit or explicit biases um, toward race um, simply because one race is maybe um, more dominant over the other. So we're seeing how this have made our systems very complex. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that that is true. So we are not alone. The PT profession is not alone and really evaluating how do we ensure that uh, we have a profession that reflects the society that we serve. We, we initiated quite a few initiatives in this area. One is um, we are, of course, doing student recruitment right now through our Physical Therapy Moves Me program. And this is really to bring awareness about physical therapy as a profession and also to try to increase our diversity with our applicant pool for applying to PT schools. Uh, something else that we're doing is, uh, and I will highly recommend, improve communication just overall. I mean, PTs have to be really comfortable in going into their communities and going out where people live, where they work, where they play, where they worship, and really getting out there and meeting the community and finding out the needs of their community. And last thing I will say about that is we, we really need to promote cultural diversity. It is so important that we do this. And this is across the healthcare spectrum in general. Um, and this could mean changing clinic hours. If you work in a blue collar town, maybe you need to change your clinic hours so that you can meet the needs of your, uh, of your community. Uh, maybe you need to hire more diverse folks into your workplace so that they can be able to communicate with your patients as they come into the door. So it's really about making these changes, these small changes that makes a huge difference to the community that we serve. So I I really believe that's just touching the surface, Jim. No, I know. Like this is your life's work. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more we can do to really improve the diversity within um, healthcare. I think some people think it's just strictly an optics thing. Like you're trying to get X number of white people, X number of black people, X number of Indian, Hispanic, Asian. But it's so much deeper than that because if you have a variety of cultures and points of view represented, doesn't it make for better health care? It does. It does. You know, we, we often refer to the... Johns Hopkins Dimension of Diversity Wheel. The inside of that wheel is what represents the internal dimensions that that we mostly see, right? That's more permanent, that's visible. I identify as an African-American cisgender female. Um, So that's what you see. You see uh, race, ethnicity, you see age, uh, you see gender, maybe national origin. But the outside of that wheel are other pieces that represents Uh, dimensions that are are acquired or changed over time. So maybe your political beliefs, maybe your religion, maybe your socioeconomic status. So all of those pieces come together to make us as unique individuals. So yes, it is broader than just race, ethnicity. That's what you see. It's visible. But there are so many dimensions of diversity that really brings us together or makes us who we are as unique individuals. Yeah, like if you know more about a certain community, I feel like you could treat them better. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So 
Carmen, how do you win over people who dismiss conversations like this? People who say, no, like it's equal for everyone. Like if you work hard, you'll like you'll end up where you're you're supposed to end up. So how do you win over people like that? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I probably would start with I, I don't try to win them over. I share the facts. Right. So if we think about if I look at APTA membership in general. So right now. 72% of our membership identify as white, 10% as Asian, 7% as Hispanic or uh, Latino, and 4% as Black. So I just share the facts. It's, it's what you see, right? So the fact that members of the Latino community and the Black or African-American community is so low, it demonstrates there is an underrepresentation. And it doesn't align with the way society demographics, societal demographics look. So uh, I, I don't really try to win people over. I just try to share the facts and say, hey, these are some areas for us to explore. And what, what can we do to make an impact here? Your work comes with a lot of weight. So I was wondering, what do you do to decompress, to kind of recharge at the end of a day or at the end of a week to then go back the next week and do what you do? Yeah. Wow. That's a loaded question, right? So <laughs> it's a good question. It is. It is. Well, Let, well let's I mean, admit you have a lot of weight, right? I do, yes. There's a lot of juggling going on because not only are you trying to win over the nation, but mm -hmm. then you have everyone within the DEI circles and you kind of have to get them on the same page. And that always isn't yeah. easy. You know, making impactful, meaningful change is rarely easy. It, it, it just isn't. It is challenging. And um, those of us who really care deeply um, about advancing diversity, equity and inclusion, we frequently come against many challenges. And that's the nature of the game, unfortunately. And it can be emotionally and physically draining. But uh, I learned pretty early on, one of my mentors shared with me uh, in this space, she's, she mentioned that you have to safeguard yourself and you have to set boundaries. So typically what I do, I do have a network of other association executives that serve as my support group, should I say. And uh, we bounce ideas off of each other and really just share best practices about our lived experiences because it looks different for all of us. Second, I incorporate work-life integration. I, I don't like to call it work-life balance anymore. It, it just doesn't because it blends so much. So it's integrated. Wait, I like this. Um, Wait, when did, when did you get rid of work-life balance? <laughs> when I realized that it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it really has to coexist in harmony, right? So my work, my life have to coexist. It, it just does. And um but with that said, I do seek opportunities to take breaks, whether it's, um, you know, just taking care of myself. I like to take long walks. I like to hike. I like to go to local parks and just walk around, you know, whether it's a good book or just trying new restaurants. So I definitely carve out time to rejuvenate myself. So you don't just say uh, it, you actually carve it out. I do. Because I know yes, some people I say, oh, like, I'll go eat or I'll go for a hike. And then that happens five months later. Yeah, you have to be intentional and block the time. I look at it differently versus saying work-life balance. It's work-life integration. Can I, can I use that? Of course you and, can. And I'll footnote yeah. you. <laughs> Definitely. 
What yeah. about uh, music, TV, movies? So, what, what um, floats Carmen's boat? Yeah, you know, I'm not a huge TV watcher. You know, like folks like to binge watch Netflix or something. I don't. Um, however, I love all genres of music. So I'm, I'm a big country music fan, believe it or not. Uh, and I really enjoy just listening to a good country song. It, it kind of takes me away. Um, so I enjoy music and I love to dance. Dancing for me just makes me feel free. Um, so I really enjoy that too. So every now and then, you know, I, if you see me walking through the office and you might see a little, you know, shuffle, that's Carmen <laughs> just kind of, you know, decompressing a bit. <laughs> so I used to have a radio show on Sirius XM volume and I would put people on the spot. I would say, Hey, put together a three song mixtape. So if I asked you this moment to put together a three song mixtape, what three songs are going on it? Oh, gosh. Okay. And I'm asking you so, this question today. I understand, like, your answer could be different tomorrow or next week. But today, what is Carmen Elliott putting on her three-song mixtape? I love Luke Bryan and Tim McGraw. So one of their songs would be on that mix. I love inspirational music. So anything uh, that has to do with grace, because I think we all need to allow ourselves the grace in the space when we're doing this work. And then my last will be an R&B song by Mary J. Blige called Just Fine, because at the end of the day, I'm just fine. I, I'm perfectly fine. So, yeah. So I didn't quite give all the names, but I gave you. Uh, no, the, that was good. And yeah, I don't know if it was intentional because I kind of sprung this on you, but that mixtape, very diverse. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's that's what is ideal for me. So um, and that's what will make me happy. Yeah. Carmen, last question. What is the most rewarding part of your job? And oh, can gosh. you give us um, a, a real life scenario where you felt like your work was necessary? Maybe someone yeah. came up to you or you caused something to happen. So most rewarding part about being the vice president of DE&I for the APTA. Oh, wow. So one thing I will say, working with our members to achieve the ultimate goal in this space has been phenomenal. Uh, I just love working with um, the PT profession and our members. And I don't take that lightly. That's exactly why I've been at APTA for 15 years now. Second, I will say it's just seeing people be their authentic selves and feel safe in the space that they're in. And to give you an example, which you just mentioned, we, we held our celebration diversity at CSM, and that was the first time that we held it there at CSM, Combined Sections Meeting. And um, it was a reimagined, refreshed event. We just wanted people to come and have fun and celebrate who they are. And when I saw people on the dance floor just, you know, be their authentic selves, and regardless of what genre of music it was and how people network with each other, how they just had a good time. That made me happy. That demonstrated to me that, yes, we still have a long way to go, but we can come together as we always hear better together, right? That's yes. been our theme over the last yes. few years. So is we are better together. So that's the most rewarding part of my work in using that example, just seeing everyone come together to celebration diversity with the ultimate goal to raise money for our minority scholarship fund. But folks had a great time and they celebrated each other's values, perspectives regardless of what, you know, what they identify as, 
We celebrated each other. That was very rewarding for me. That was my highlight of CSM going to that event. Yeah. I was yeah. told in the past, maybe I'm wrong. This was my first CSM. I was told in the past it was more sort of like speech driven. It was. It was a very formal event. Um, you come in your tuxedo ball gown. <laughs> uh, we had a plated dinner. The ticket price was double than what um, it was at CSM. And it was a very formal event and probably more of an exclusive event where, you know, you are who you are and you could come to this event. But we wanted to change that up a bit and just really, again, have people come celebrate themselves, um, celebrate who they are, who they identify as. And with the ultimate goal that we are raising money, right, um, for our minority scholarship fund. But I, I think we achieved that goal. And um, and we, of course, changed it to the combined sections meeting. It was previously held at the Education Leadership Conference. So it was a smaller group. But having it at CSM really allowed us to reach out to a larger group. And folks just came and had a good time. There's something about dancing with people, right? Like you kind of get to see their true selves and you laugh at each other and then you share a quick conversation. And I don't know if that necessarily happens at a formal dinner because you're usually stuck at that table and you can usually only talk to like five or six different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we definitely wanted to ensure when we with the space that folks did have that opportunity to kind of find their people, right? That's something we hear a lot that folks wanna come and network and kind of find their people and go and just have conversations and then you know, be able to um, interact with others. So that was the goal in trying to really foster that type of community. Uh, We did that. We always looking for ways to improve this experience for our members, but we're looking forward to next year. San Diego is gonna be great. Oh my goodness. Yeah, if you have meetings, whatever you did at that event, that was fun. Don't don't tweak it too much. <laughs> okay. And Carmen, I know I said last question. Can I ask one more? Of course. So Fox Rehabilitation, we have a DEI committee called Fox for All. So before you go, I'm speaking face-to-face right now with the VP of DEI for the APTA It's a lot of acronyms there. Um, Do you have any tips or advice for us? I would say be curious. And I know that sounds very loaded, but the only way we're going to learn is if we ask questions, right? So, you know, I get questions all the time. I don't represent every single Black female, right? But I have my lived experiences and um, I spend time in the space. So I really think it's important for us to learn from each other. Be curious is what I would leave with that um, committee or that team is find out what the needs are, have listening sessions. Listening sessions are very important because you don't know unless you ask. And um, so have listening sessions, find out what the needs are, and then come up with an action plan. You know, I, I think that's so important. So I wouldn't say just create a laundry list of things to do, what is one meaningful thing that that team can accomplish and by when? Some things in DEI space is evolutionary. It forever changes, right? So you can't accomplish it overnight. Um, when you talk about dismantling systems and structures, it doesn't happen overnight. But with that said, be curious, ask questions, listen to your colleagues, find out what the needs are, and then build a plan from there on how we can Um, make an impact and make meaningful change. And then at some point too, we're going to mess up. 
Like someone will <laughs> say the wrong thing, but that's okay because we learn from our mistakes. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I said earlier about giving each other the grace. You know, we, we need the grace. So uh, yes, we will mess up. But the fact that we acknowledge it, we apologize, and then we move on. We, we learn from that experience and then we, we move on. And we try to ensure that from learning about that experience that it doesn't create a more systemic issue. But yeah, it's really important that you acknowledge that it happened. Just don't sweep it under the rug. Acknowledge that it happened, apologize, and then make that a learning moment. I love it. Thank you for the time, Carmen. Um, Thank you, Jim. Next CSM in San Diego, we're going to hang out? Yes, you're, yes. You're not going to get sick will. of me? <laughs> of course not. Did I bother you this year? Because I think I saw you like three or four days in a row. I'm like, hey, Carmen, what's going on, Carmen? <laughs> no, we, your enthusiasm yeah, really we, is we know each exactly. other now. We've broken bread. Yes, we have. All right. Yes, so we before we go and before we end season one of the Live Better Longer podcast, I want to say happy Women's History Month. Thank you. And then April is Celebrate Diversity Month. So you are a perfect guest to have on today. Thank you for closing out season one for us. Thank you for having me. So for Carmen Elliott, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. <laughs> <laughs>